week, which I thought was one of my better sermons, but I think that every week, but it was really good because it really forced me to really think about how are things with my soul, and can I just tell you that everything leading up to last Saturday's sermon, I was full, and I feel like this past week, I didn't change much, I felt more empty And it was almost like God was giving me the gift of saying, okay, you preach these sermons, but now you have to ask, how is it with your own soul? And it was one of those weeks where it was a constant struggle of trying to be present to God and trying to allow God to fill me and my own self filling myself with things that were going to bring more life to me. Does it ever happen to any of you? Where you have these moments of this like exuberant and joyful, pre- like you feel the presence of God in some way, however we feel that. But then like the time that follows after that, you're just like, oh man, like I feel like something's off. You see, that's part of the Christian experience and part of the Christian walk. It's not just always feeling happy and joyful, but it's being aware of when those things aren't happening and when you're not in that flow. Is being able to take a step back and ask, Father... Fill me now with your presence and not just go after things that we think are going to bring us happiness, even if it's just for a moment. You know, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 1. And I want to look at what it looks like when our souls aren't at peace. I want to look at what Scripture tells us what we can do when things are just out of sync And I want to look at, as our title tells us this morning, what it looks like to be in the flow of the Spirit of God. When we look at the very first verse in the Bible, it tells us in the beginning, God, and and I'm in the red Bibles in front of you this morning, so there's no PowerPoint. But it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. In the Hebrew, when it says that the earth was formless and empty and without void, it's this word, and I'm going to teach this to you. Most of you probably already know it, but if you don't, here it is. It's called tohu vavohu. And in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew mindset, when they use the word tohu vavohu, what it's telling you is that before there was anything... Before the world existed, before the universes were created, and before God set everything into motion, there was the sense that there was a formless void and nothing was present except what? The Spirit of God. You see, God understands that for our human minds, we only understand beginnings and endings. Your human mind cannot fathom what eternity looks like. And so God knows that he has to give us this beginning. And when we think about this tohu vavohu, there's another understanding that says that it was just chaos. There was nothing. It was emptiness. It was darkness. It was whatever is before anything actually exists. But God, the Spirit of God, was present there. And it is out of this darkness. It is out of this void and out of this chaos, because there was no order, that God speaks creation into existence there's something about the spirit of god that is present in the darkness the spirit of god is present even when things aren't ordered and in the chaos of life we continue to look at john chapter 3 verse 8 and so i'm just going to invite you to turn over to john 3 verse 8 and i'm just setting this up for you because we're going to jump into the story of moses here in a moment But before we truly get a grasp of what's happening with Moses, we need to understand what it looks like that the Spirit of God moves and is present everywhere. 
So if we look at John, it's in the New Testament, John chapter 3, verse 8. And I know I don't normally skip around this much, but I'm just trying to lay the groundwork for something here. But John chapter 3, verse 8. Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus who's coming to Jesus to learn about the deeper things of life. And I'm just going to take one sentence out of here, all right? So some of you may say, oh, but like, give us more context, but this is all you need to know for now. Verse 8 says this, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And, and the idea is that the Spirit of God moves where God wants to move. The Spirit of God doesn't just move in one place or in another place, but what we find in Scripture is that the Spirit of God is constantly at mo- in motion. The Spirit of God is constantly showing up in our lives. The Spirit of God goes where it wants to, and we know that for those of us who believe in Jesus, for those of us who have this connection with God, that the Spirit of God follows you everywhere you go. There is nowhere you can go that the Spirit of God cannot be. Because what we know is that the whole earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and so God is present. We just aren't always aware of it. And so the Spirit of God hovers over everything. Let's go to John chapter 16. Just a few pages over. John six sixty three says the Spirit... The Spirit of God gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words, and this is Jesus speaking, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Other Bible translations say the words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are truth. You see, so when Jesus is speaking even about the Holy Spirit, he is saying that there is something that can be found in following his teachings and his words and following the way of Jesus that will lead you into life and life more abundantly. You see, the Spirit of God shows up everywhere, constantly, even in the emptiness of our souls sometimes, to give us direction as to where we should go. And in the Bible, there is this dichotomy. There's this dichotomy about people who are in the Spirit and people who are in the flesh. And it doesn't just mean that if you are human, you're in the flesh, and so you're not in the Spirit. But to be in the Spirit means that your whole life is oriented towards doing the will of God. To be in the Spirit and to live in the Spirit, the Bible writers will say that we live by faith and not by sight, but to be in the Spirit is to have that connection and that relationship with God. And Paul would say that if you're in the flesh, it means that you're just going after your own fleshly desires. But I read something really interesting yesterday. It it popped up. Someone shared it with me. It was an article about this man who translated, he's like a premier biblical scholar in Hebrew. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and he writes about how sometimes what we miss when we're reading our Bible is that we think that the spirit and the body are separate entities. So we have a spirit, and we have a body, and they're separate. But what he says is that for the Old Testament writers, the Hebrew writers, you can't have one without the other. So you can't have a body without a spirit, and you can't have a spirit without a body. And what he's saying is that what we so often miss is that we think we're two separate entities, but when God creates us, he creates you as spirit and body. And so everything that you do in your life physically is going to affect you, your spirit. And whatever you 
take into your spirit, your soul, will affect you physically. And so God creates us spirit and body. And this dichotomy between being in the spirit and in the flesh just means where is your life being oriented towards? Are you wanting to be in the flow and in the will and in the harmony of what God wants for you? Or are you simply just trying to carve your own path in life, hoping to find joy and peace and happiness? You know, so much of the Christian life, we are always trying to will ourselves to be better. We're always trying to get you know, eliminate the sin in our lives, to be kinder, to be nicer, to speak better words, to say certain certain words less. And so much of our Christian experience is about trying to be better when sometimes all we have to do is take a step back and let God do more in our lives. Now, how many of you wear contacts or glasses or have had LASIK surgery? So like more than half of us. So every year for the last... How long have I had insurance? (laughs) Every year for the last 12 years, 13 years, I go to the eye doctor. I go, I try to make an appointment for the beginning of the year, and I go to the eye doctor, and they do all sorts of exams and tests for me, right? They make you look into this thing, and you can never really see the tree in the back, and then they have you look at the little wiggly lines, and like, I'm always hopeful that I don't miss one, because I think I'm going to go blind for some reason, and I'm not like a hypochondriac. Like, I don't worry about illness. Like, I don't go to the doctor if I don't have to, but like, I'm always worried when it comes to my sight. And then finally, you get to that last part of the exam, and they're in front of that, I forget what that thing is called, but it looks like that futuristic alien thing, right? And your face is right up to it, and what does the eye doctor say? Which one's better, one or two? One or two? One. And so here, can I tell you, like, the most nerve-wracking thing for me is that I will say the wrong answer. Because I've done that before, and I've gone a whole year where I'm just like, I'm too embarrassed to go back. Well, I've, I, last year I went back like four times, and then I just gave up, and I said, fine, I'll just, I'm just going to see a little less clear this year. But we go there because the glasses help to see things a little bit better. They don't look for us but they help to give us a lens by which we can see the way things are more clearly. Now, there was one year where I just kind of gave up wearing glasses and because whenever I was up here, I would wear the glasses and the lights were too, like, glary for my glasses. And I think my sunglasses that I had were too big because I ordered them the wrong size. And I just gave up. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to wear glasses this year. I can see well enough. And I really can see pretty well without anything. And so I thought, I'm fine. But I still went to the eye doctor the following year, and then they prescribed me contacts for the first time. And I said, sure, I'll try contacts. Why not? And the moment I put those contacts on, it was like my eyes were opened to a new reality. I remember, I remember calling Kara saying, like, I can see clearly. Like, I, I had no idea how poorly I had been seen for the last 12 months. Like, that's what happens in our spiritual life. You know, sometimes we think that we can see things clearly. You know, and we do this because we know, well, I know, I know what John 3.16 says, or I know what Daniel 7.14 says. I just made that one out of the air, right? Or I know what Revelation 14 says. Or, and, and so we, we build this knowledge, this biblical knowledge about what the Bible says about certain things, and we think, like, I already know the truth. I already have all the truth. I can see clearly. 
But sometimes God says, like, you see some stuff clearly, but you need continued study and time to become aware of new ways of seeing things. Or we say, oh, I remember one time I, I did this thing at the church, and, you know, I preached a sermon at the church, and it was five years ago, but God still counts that on my crown for heaven. And so we kind of look back to our past glories, and we say, because we've done all of this, then surely I'm okay with God. But I think sometimes we have to take a step back and say, perhaps I'm not seeing as clearly and I'm not as aware of the Spirit as I thought I was. You see, so much of us, we think that in order to see the Spirit and be clear with what God is wanting in our lives is that we have to do more, when oftentimes we simply have to do less. You know, one of the ways for us to really listen to the voice of God, and when I say voice of God, understand that I mean you may never actually hear the audible voice of God. I haven't. So when we say listening to the voice of God, what we're really saying is getting a sense of clarity in our lives about what we sense that God is wanting us to do. And what we have to do to do that is that we have to learn to enter into solitude. We have to learn to enter into moments of life when we can silence all of the distractions. Now last week, And I don't know, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but last week I said, I would like for you to try an experiment in your prayer life where I said, set a timer for three minutes and sit in silence and just try to think about God or whisper the name of Jesus. I'd love to ask how many of you did that, but I'm not going to. But I have found that the richest part of my spiritual life and prayer is when I learn to simply sit in the silent presence of God. I don't know how God does it, but the Bible tells us that the Spirit moves where it wants to and how it wants to. The Bible tells us that when we believe in Jesus, Jesus makes his home inside our hearts. But the problem is that we complicate everything and add so much to everything that we lose sight of what God is trying to say to us. And I really love how I think it was Celeste who said, you know, we listen to the Holy Spirit by listening to our pastors and our teachers and our parents. And it's like, yeah. But see, here's the thing. It's not just that those are the only places that the Holy Spirit speaks to us, but what she's learning from such a young age, and kudos to her parents or her teachers or whoever taught her that, what she's learning from such a young age is that the Holy Spirit speaks through different experiences and people in life. And we have to learn to be open to these conversations with people. So let's jump into this text for a short time. Is that all right? Are we still like, are we still alive and well? All right, because I I just noticed the time. So I'm going to jump into Exodus chapter 3. I promise we won't spend too much time there. But there's some deep spiritual truth that we can learn from Moses about how to listen to the Spirit of God. So page 41, Exodus chapter 4. Now Moses was tending the flocks of Jethro, his father-in-law. Can I just pause for a second? Is Jethro the name of the dad in the Beverly Hillbillies? Yeah, it always throws me off. Like, I'm like, that shouldn't be in the Bible. But okay, anyway, so completely unrelated. But it, oh man. Every time I read this verse, I think of that black and white or song on T. Okay, all right. Jethro, okay, the brother. <laughs> 
If you're a guest vis- visiting with us today, like, hey, we're a real church, and sometimes we have to do that, so please come back, we promise. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock, Moses led the flock to the far side of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over to see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Now this is, listen to, listen to what's happening. Jethro is going on about his day. He is tending the flock. He's at work. He's doing the work that he's supposed to be doing. This was years after he had been an Egyptian prince. This was years after he had fled from Egypt. And he's just going about the ordinary movements of his day. If this was happening today, this might say something like, and Moses was sitting at his desk, entering data into the computer about the thing that he was doing at his job. This doesn't tell us that God calls to Moses and says, hey, Moses, Moses, come over here. Look at this awesome burning bush. What it tells us is that Moses had this open curiosity that something was happening And he took the time away from the ordinary parts of his day to go and inquire about something. Now, the Bible doesn't say that he went over there to turn the fire out. It doesn't tell us anything other than he noticed. You see, so many of us are going through life at such a high pace of speed that we don't stop long enough to notice the things that are a little bit different than what we expect them to be. We are so distracted with with the worries of the world. We're distracted with real problems that all of us face. We're distracted with television, with radio, with fun stuff, whatever it is that we don't take time to notice things anymore. For our spirit to truly be in tune with God, we have to learn to be open to things that might be different than we're used to. And it isn't until Moses actually stops to go and look that God speaks to him. You see, Moses was by himself. He learned to go into this time of solitude where he was just with his sheep doing the work that was given to him and he noticed something that was different and God uses that opportunity to speak to Moses. You see, for some of us, the greatest spiritual discipline that we can practice is to learn to pay attention to the places where God is showing up. Now, I know that we all expect God to show up here in this place on Saturday mornings. And that's awesome for the hour or an hour and a half that we meet. But there are 167 other hours in your week where God is constantly showing up. But because it's not church, we think that God isn't present. But what we find in the Bible, is, especially in the Old Testament, is story after story about God showing up in the most unexpected of places, like work, your jobs, and God doing a transforming work in you. So for those of you who are struggling at work and just trudging through every day hoping for a different job, perhaps it's time for you to begin to notice where God is present at work. And verse 5 says this, Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then God goes in to say, I have seen the oppression of the Egyptians on the Israelites. Remember, the Israelites were still serving as slaves in Egypt. And really, I think that's the one central story of our faith, is that God hears, and it says this, God hears the cry of the oppressed, and then God goes and does something. Verse 9 says this, I hear the cry, the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now I am going to send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. See, if Moses hadn't stopped to take the moment to notice something that was different, perhaps God may have gone on to use someone else. Now, I know we can debate about that all we want to, but this is the way the story tells us happens. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Verse 13, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites, and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask, What is your name? Then what shall I tell them? To which God answers, Tell them, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Think about that for a second. We want answers all of the time. We want backup. We want all sorts of things in our life so that we can show that, yeah, God is the one who is sending us. And when God asks, when Moses asks God, well, what shall I say your name is? All he says is, tell them I am sent you. Which at its core, and in the Hebrew word, it is the, the word that is used here is to be. Like, that's it. Like, if you're a grammar teacher or if you know grammar, it's just the very basic sense of to be, to exist. What God is saying to Moses is when they ask you who sent you, tell them that the one whose spirit hovered over the darkness and the empty void is the one who is calling you now. Tell them that I am the father of your father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that the God who provides for all of their ancestors is the one who is sending you to now be the thing that he provides for them to leave Egyptian captivity. Tell them that I am the raw essence of all existence, the one who sustains and speaks all things. The enduring eternal spirit is the one who is sending you. But Moses would never have had that conversation with God if he didn't understand what it means to go into solitude. He, didn't, he wouldn't have known what it meant to listen and pay attention to God if he hadn't left his life of luxury, even though he was running for his life. If he hadn't taken a step back and, as we say, gone into his wilderness experience. Moses could never have led the Israelites out of Egypt if he first hadn't experienced the wilderness experience himself. Now we know that and we believe that God is the one who leads Moses through all these journeys in his life because God knew that he was always going to use Moses to rescue his people from Egypt and Moses was the one who knew the way. Moses flees and goes into Midian, experiences his own wilderness experience where God provides for him And then God sends Moses back to where he came from because he knew the journey they had to go through. You know, for us, Moses is a great spiritual teacher. 
because he teaches us what it looks like to learn to listen to God. And if you've read the rest of the story, we know that Moses doesn't always do everything the right way. He, he, there was moments where he blatantly disobeyed God. But God still uses him to deliver his people. So this is that moment in your own life where Jeremiah says you have to stand at the crossroads and see if you will follow the ancient ways to bring peace to your soul. Will you be open and receptive to the Spirit of God wherever he shows up? God isn't always going to show up how you want God to show up. And you can't take church with you everywhere you go. Oh, you can because you are the church. But I want you to think about the next 167 hours of the week until we gather here again. And I really want you to try to ask God, show me the burning bush in my own life today. And make that a prayer of your heart. And sometimes that burning bush is going to tell you, hey, you need to go make amends with this person. Yeah, because God asks us to do hard things, by the way. Maybe I need to give, extend forgiveness to this person. Or maybe you're like, I need to ask forgiveness from this person. Or maybe the burning bush experience in your life, and again, this burning bush experience is moments of clarity. They're not always going to be these fantastical, awesome things that happen. Sometimes it's just the inner voice of the Spirit. But for some of you, it may be something that you need to leave behind. For some of you, it may be things that you've relied on that God is saying you don't need that anymore. For some of you, it's patterns. It's the shadow side of our lives, the fleshly things that we keep coming back to to fill some sort of need in us. And Jesus and God are saying, you don't need that anymore. You see, the spiritual life isn't always easy. Because what it requires of us is an openness to allow God to show us the things in our lives that we need to put to bed. Things that we need to put to death and just say, no longer will these things I will keep coming back to, but rather I want freedom. The Bible tells us that Jesus comes to set us free. But in our humanity, we always tend, even in this freedom, to hang on to things that lead us into bondage. But just as God sends Moses, for those of you who are oppressed by things, God hears your cry. He may not send Moses, but he will send someone or something or some way to lead you out of the darkness. And I want to close with this last thought. And I can't remember. It's in Exodus chapter 13. I was listening to this book on tape. And the author was writing... I think it's Exodus 13 something. Never heard this before. That the reason the Israelites didn't take the shortest distance from Egypt into Canaan, the promised land where they were supposed to go, and it took them 40 years, is because they weren't yet ready to handle going through difficult times in their life. Think about that for a second. They weren't ready to go through the land of the Philistines where they were going to have to literally fight and battle for their lives. Because remember, they had been oppressed. So if someone says, where is your God? They might have said like, somewhere far away because we're obviously oppressed for hundreds of years. And, what the, and so what the scripture tells us is that God takes them the roundabout way because they didn't yet have experience experiences of what God could do. And so God leads them the roundabout way. It takes them longer than it had to 
because God was walking alongside them, showing them from stage to stage how he could be a God who was trusted. So if it feels like you're going through things in your life where you're just like, I don't want to go the roundabout way, just get me through this, God. Remember that perhaps God is showing you something from day to day, stage to stage and season in your life, so that when you get to something even harder, you will have a wealth of experience of what God has already done in your life. But you can't do that if you're not learning to become aware of the presence of God in your life. And so I'll close with this. I know I said this before. But the only way for us to really become aware of the presence of God is to continually reflect and look back on where God has already been in your life and know that God will show up again. And I'm not just talking about the big moments in life, but I'm talking about every single day in the morning, in the afternoon, or at night, or whenever you have the chance, look back over the last 24 hours of your day and remember and look and see God was present there. God was present there. Amen.